if you're the head of marketing, you're really running that functional area and you're a deep domain expertise. If you're the head of finance, you're running finance with deep domain expertise. The head of IT, the head of engineering, the head of customer engagement, the head of revenue, all tend to be very deep domain experts in that one area. The COO or the second in command tends to be strong at all of the people issues, strong at getting collaboration, strong at getting consensus, strong at figuring out plans, strong at, at seeing all the moving parts and coordination. And they understand the functional areas well enough, but they don't strong enough to be a domain expert on any of them. Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. And here is Martin Grunberg. All righty, here we go. Welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name is Martin Grunberg. You have reached Habits to Goals H2G. The original, the first, the one and only teaching this, I don't know, over a decade that the fastest, most efficient way to achieve your goals is not smart goals. It's not a to-do list. Rather, it's focusing on the core recurring behaviors, the habits that will carry you toward your goals. Today, we have a fantastic guest, a, a bit of a legend out of Canada. He's 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 coming to us the second time. He is a six-time or will be a six-time best-selling author. Um, he's a consultant. He's a coach. He is a great speaker, and he's a friend. Cameron Harold, how you doing today, sir? Good, Martin. Nice to see you again. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's my honor. I I can't wait to dig into the book. I was just telling you this. This new book, I, I want to learn about it with the audience. But before we go there, again, we've only had a, a couple um, interviewees who've been here two time, two times, I should say. So, so the bulk of your background they can be found on a prior episode. Having said that, if and I'm sure it's very rare, somebody has no idea who Cameron Harold is. Why don't you? Uh, Set the table and give us, you know, I as I understand it, you <laughs> you came up out of Canada, uh, grew up in Canada. So set the table, a little background, and how you worked your way into entrepreneurship. Um, sure. And probably a bit about uh, eight hundred got junk, I imagine. Sure. Yeah, I, I was actually groomed to be an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. Both sets of grandparents were entrepreneurs. And my dad and mom decided to raise the three kids to be entrepreneurial or be entrepreneurs. And for the last 15 to 25 years, my brother, my sister, and myself have each run our own companies. Um, I had my first little business when I was seven. I had my first real business when I was 20. When I was 20 years old, I had 12 full-time employees in my company. Wow. So I was already kind of off and running as an entrepreneur, running a real business when I was only in second year university. Um, from that track, I, I got involved in a, a house painting organization called College Pro Painters. And I really learned a lot of the systems and habits to be successful in a business. I ran that franchise for three years while I was in university. And then I joined the head office and started coaching entrepreneurs. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I just really coached them on the manual. I made sure that they followed all the systems in the manual. 
And I learned a core set of leadership skills that helped me to, to really coach them. And I had 120 franchisees, so 120 entrepreneurs that I coached. I really recruited them, hired them, trained them, and coached them over a four-year period, those 120 entrepreneurs. And um, that really gave me a basis for understanding entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and systems and even highly scalable, replicatable systems as well. Left there and I joined a family friend and joined as really his second in command in a franchising group of an auto body chain. And we built up what's called Boyd Auto Body in Canada. It's called Gerber Auto Collision in the US. It's now a $2 billion publicly traded company. It's now the largest collision repair chain in the world. Um, left there and I was hired the, as the president of a private currency company <laughs> and uh, did that for a couple of years. Kind of what Bitcoin is doing today, but we did it 22 years ago, 23 years ago. Mm. We had 30,000 companies in the United States buying and selling using our digital currency instead of the U.S. dollar. So we had Starwood Hotels, Avis Rent-A-Car, Budget Rent-A-Car, all buying and selling services using a digital currency that we created what? called a barter dollar. What was that and called again? I it, it actually rings a bell. I yeah, it's now called iTex. In its day, it was called ubarter.com. Okay, but we had the Rob Report. I had I had uh, the Hard Rock Cafe. We had Bose stereos, tons oh. of radio stations, TV stations, all using a digital currency, facilitating trade. We sold that company for sixty four million, but we sold at the height of the dot com era, and we sold uh, in March of two thousand. And the transaction was supposed to close in June of 2000. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. March 15th, oh, no. Steve Ballmer stood up and said there was an internet bubble. The <laughs> stock market, we were public. The company acquiring us was public. So our $64 million valuation at the time of close was about $3.2 ah. So we lost $61 million. I remember sitting with my partner and the CEO on the fourth floor of the building at Second and Vine in Seattle. And he looked outside. He said, it's too bad we're only on the fourth floor. <laughs> and um i don't think he was kidding wow well I then i shouldn't was, then i shouldn't be laughing it was a tough it was a really really it was tough you know we built something up very big we right. sold it and uh, we lost it so i i became a garbage man um i joined my best friend brian who was running a i was employee number 14 at his business he had had sold his 12th franchise of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and really didn't know how to scale it and he had an amazing vision, an amazing culture, and had built a really strong technology platform, but he didn't know how to scale the franchising group. So I came in as his COO and helped him scale up 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We went from 14 employees when I started. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We went from $2 million to $106 million in revenue, uh, built the number two company in all of Canada to work for. And we had landed 5,200 individual unique stories in the media, including being on Oprah. And I'd been the COO for that trajectory. Left there. That was 16 years ago that I left there. Well, uh, that's uh, quite quite the the trajectory and the story. And, and you move quickly through it. I, I actually, That was all by the time I was 42. Right. Uh, just curious. You said to your, your parents... I believe you said your parents, it may have been just your father, were, were entrepreneurial in, in everyone in your family. And yeah. I find that a bit curious, actually, because <laughs> kids tend to do the opposite, not always, often, what their parents do. So <laughs> so uh, what was your father's business? 
Yeah, my dad owned an automotive and industrial supply company supplying mines and large businesses in Northern Ontario, Canada with automotive and industrial parts. Okay. I hated the business, didn't want to have anything to do with the business, right. didn't want to work for my dad. Um, but I saw, he showed me at a very early age that being an entrepreneur was about controlling your time and doing whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. It was about playing golf in the middle of the week. It was about being home every single night for family dinners. It was about being with your kids at every activity. My dad embarrassingly used to come to practices, not just the games, right. but he would come to practices like no other parent was anywhere near the field. Well, I I was uh, I was actually a coach, <laughs> so, so I was at every practice too. Uh, yeah, you were one of the rare I get ones. that. I get that. No, that's uh, an attractive uh, reason and in, in principle to become an entrepreneur. Unfortunately, we all know a bunch of entrepreneurs who who don't leverage that. Uh, or use right. that time and you know and aren't that there- was because I think so many are striving for the dollar that they miss the point you know we build a company for only one of three reasons to give us cash to give us freedom and time and to put a stake in the ground or a flag in the ground to say that we did it right sure and many entrepreneurs are trying to prove that we're smart because we were beat up in the school system we were told that we were stupid we were told to sit still we we struggled in the school system. So we need the praise to go. We got it done. That's right. Um, I was shown that, that, and that guilty, was me. Guilty as charged, man. Motor guilty. mouth, motor mouth, Martin. Oh, fuck. It was horrible, man. My transcript, my, <laughs> my grades were so bad, but I also was shown that if I focused on free time, if I delegated more, if I hired great people, if I kind of would get other people to do stuff that I could have time and the business would grow and the money would come from that. So because I focused on the time and building something successful, the money just followed. Wow. And um, it was also in an era when being an entrepreneur was not cool, right? Being an entrepreneur only started to become cool at 97 or 98, 1997, 98, at the rise of the first dot-com era. Prior to that, kids didn't want to be entrepreneurs. Oh. Entrepreneurs were greedy. We were capitalist. But it was the rise of that first internet boom when entrepreneurship became cool and then post global financial crisis, when entrepreneurship went through its second rise of the of being cool, parents wanted their kids to be entrepreneurs. Parents were proud of their kids being entrepreneurs. But it was weird when I was doing it. I was very ostracized. I was the strange kid in class. I was the one who, you know, my teachers didn't understand why I was day trading out of the newspaper when I was sixteen. <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's good. I mean, yeah, everything from a newspaper route to working at a gas station to to working at a a beer and wine manufacturer uh where we package the the yeast and stuff so uh in some regards anyways a bit of a similar trajectory yeah uh, when you were 12 what was you not 12 seven yeah actually so my so i, I actually did a talk 20, you, at 20 you had I, a business that had 12 employees yeah so at, at 20 i had a house painting company in sudbury canada Okay. Uh, we painted residential homes, businesses. I painted gas stations. And I, I, yeah, I painted houses. Well, I didn't paint. I hired 12 students to paint houses. Right. And uh, in 1986, I made $15,000 in profit in four months, which was five times more than any other student made that summer. Wow. You know, and, and I was rolling in it. By third year, I made $40,000 in profit and had no debt paid for all my four years of university and bought a house the day after I graduated university with my money. Wow. So I, it was, it was by being an entrepreneur, but again, I was the weird kid in school, right? Well, 
Yeah, we were. <laughs> everybody's weird to somebody. Yeah. Um, the the it's interesting you make the time and uh, money distinction. I I I guess what I'm getting at is in a lot of ways the 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 word wealth comes to mind where the where there's time or time and freedom. Excuse me. And and you said time, freedom, and and money. In any event, it, it seems to me that the term wealth as opposed to rich, combines the time and freedom. I, I think so, I, yeah. I'm kind of curious what your take on that is. I was explaining to my kids recently, my, my two boys are 19 and 21. My 19-year-old is running his own business in Montreal. He's running um, social events and parties in Montreal. He's going to have 300 people at his event tomorrow night. And uh, crazy what he's just started on his own and his cool mm -hmm. marketing he's doing. But I was explaining to them that when you're young – you tend to spend a lot of time to save money. You'll spend 30 minutes waiting at a bus stop to spend $2 on the bus instead of spending $10 on the Uber. And right. as you get older, you'll spend money to save time. And I said, the sooner that they can make that trajectory from living in abundance and realizing they'll figure out the money, if they can start to buy themselves time, right? Hire the cleaning lady to clean your house so that you can either have free time or so that you can do parts of your business that you're really good at. If you can delegate stuff to an executive assistant, if you can delegate stuff to an operations person, if you can get stuff off your plate to free you up to work on the bigger parts of your business, hmm. those are all things that you need to be able to do, right? Yeah. And that's a, a beautiful segue maybe to talk <laughs> a little bit about some of the books you have written. Talk us through the titles and a little bit of a synopsis of what they're about. You can go chronologically if you want or not. Um, sure. I, they're all fantastic books. So, so share with the audience a bit how that looks. Yeah. So the first book that I wrote was uh, 12 years ago. It was called Double Double and it was how to double your revenue and profit in three years or less. Seth Godin wrote the front cover testimonial of that book for me. And it was all around me codifying the systems that I use to grow businesses, to grow 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Uh, and it was the simple to easily execute systems to grow a business or to grow yourself. Right. The, the next couple of books that I wrote were more expansions off of points or chapters. So I wrote Meeting Suck, which was to just teach companies and individuals how to run highly impactful in-person or virtual or over Zoom meetings, um, how to attend them, how to participate and what meetings you need to build great companies. I wrote a book called Free PR, which was how to generate public relations press coverage, you know, how we got on Oprah and CNN and how, I, you know, I've been written up in the physical magazines, the print editions of Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Entrepreneur, Success, American Airlines, like, and it's how to get that that coverage to, to grow your business uh, and then what to do with it when you get it. I wrote a book called Vivid Vision, which was all about leaning out into the the future and describing your personal life or your marriage or your business three years from now so that you can describe it in its finished state and figure out how to reverse engineer that. I co-authored a book called The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod. <laughs> right. About the successful morning habits and the rest of your day on build, building a, a successful entrepreneur. Uh, and then I just wrote one recently called The Second in Command, and it's how to unleash the power of your COO. And this is the, the newest one. This is probably, I think this is probably the strongest book I've ever written. Wow. Um, but it's because I have a lot of industry IP and understanding of that second in command role from running my COO Alliance and then the second in command podcast. 
Um, so I, you broke up a hair. It's one of the my favorite titles in your in your library is meetings suck, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Uh, I I think my favorite revolves around the concepts and in the book itself, of course, vivid vision, this idea that it begins with a clear vision. And I know you're a proponent. You're always, dare I say, always talking about the importance of vision and you're throwing your vision out there. Uh, you certainly did that with, um, your current organization, which is, is it not called Second in Command? The the podcast is called the Second in Command Podcast. Right. My organization, oh, COO is, Alliance. I'm sorry. Yeah, and if I was to reword it, if I was to retitle, I would probably have called it the Second in Command something right. or other, right? Uh, because a lot of our members are presidents or VP of operations or director of, op- but they are the Second in Command to the entrepreneur or Second in Command right. to the the C. Yeah. So- so let's talk about the second in command. First of all, what what makes the second in command so special, so unique, um, and so important relative, of course, to the CEO? Try to try to, if you were visually to go down the columns and and a few traits, maybe three or four, yeah. uh, just to help the audience see the see so the this- importance. So the second in command is almost the yin and yang to the CEO. It's the most important of all of the C-levels or most important of all the executives because they have to be the balance for the CEO. They have to be the strengths to the entrepreneur's weaknesses. They need to be the gas to the entrepreneur's, you know, the brakes to the entrepreneur's gas, right? They need to be, as, as Thomas Edison said, vision without execution is hallucination, well, the, the COO needs to be the execution for the vision the entrepreneur has. I know what you're thinking. How, <laughs> how do I get more H2G, more habits to goals? Just go to habits to goals. That's the number two dot substack dot com. We are offering free trial, free seven day trial. We're going to be offering premium content. There's going to be a lot more episodes. We're going to add special interviews, categories, and build out a community where there's even, it looks like, we can do a chat. Seven-day free trial. I think it's six bucks. Price of a fish talk. The fact is, and I'm sure you know how just one idea has the capacity to change the entire direction of your life. In fact, I've heard it before from listeners. So by creating this premium content and adding this service, we will know who you are, and that's going to be special. So check it out, habits2goals.substack.com. Give it a free trial. Go for a month. Go for a year. You can even become a founding member. I mean, when you think about it, after five-ish years and nearly 500 episodes, many of you have been with us for that ride. You would certainly qualify as a founding member, and I hope you do so. It would be unreal to see you support this work and this effort at that level. We're going to continue the free show but we're going to put the premium content 
over on Substack. There is almost nothing more important than your habits and your goals. So be sure to check it out now. Habits to goals with the number two at Substack.com and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you. If you're the head of marketing, you're really running that functional area and you're a deep domain expertise. If you're the head of finance, you're running finance with deep domain expertise. The head of IT, the head of engineering, the head of customer engagement, the head of revenue, all tend to be very deep domain experts in that one area. The COO or the second in command tends to be strong at all of the people issues, strong at getting collaboration, strong at getting consensus, strong at figuring out plans, strong at, at seeing all the moving parts and coordination. And they understand the functional areas well enough, but they don't strong enough to be a domain expert on any of them. Right. They're kind of wow. the jack of all trades, master of none. That's beautiful. Uh, I love I love those distinctions there, the brakes to the gas. Now, what what's fascinating to me, because you're a note noted and notable COO, is you have such entrepreneurial traits yourself. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. and if you throw in the ADD uh, HD element, it it it's an interesting fit or description for you to be leading, a, you know, the CEO alliance and 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 becoming this notable CEO leader. And I now that I'm I can speculating, and I think part of it is because you you understand the other side. Bingo. So here's what's really interesting. I would be a horrible COO for 95% of my COO Alliance members' companies. Right. Most COOs would be horrible for 70% of the other companies because we're the right right fit for our company. We're the right fit for our CEO. Here's where I was the right fit for Brian. I had already built two franchise companies. Right. He had been my best man at my wedding three months before I started working with him. That's it. We were in the entrepreneurs organization in a forum group together for four and a half years before I started working with him. So we knew everything about each other before I even walked in the door. And I knew how to franchise. I knew how to build a franchise training program, a franchise sales program, a marketing program. I knew how to bring on the leadership team and run the interviews and bring on the recruiting. And I knew how to build out training programs and franchise coaching. And I'd been a franchisee and a franchisor already. So (laughs) I had so much domain expertise that I could come in and say, like, get out of the way, let me do this to everybody, and then bring in all the people and grow them. Where I broke down was at about the 100 million mark, when it became well, that, big. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Right. I mean, so, but, take it from so what's good, though, is I would have been a horrible COO, though, from 100 million to the billion, I would have been a horrible COO for Brian. I was very good in that entrepreneurial zone. So... I'm not truly a COO makeup. I'm more of an entrepreneur, you know, and Brian which, and I recognized that when we hit the 100 million mark. Which explains why it, it it brilliantly answers my question, why you're leading in an entrepreneurial fashion a bunch of COOs. It's, Bingo. It's, and that's why what I recognize is I cannot be the one to train them, <laughs> but I can be, but I can be the one to get them all together so they can train each other. Right. That's the key. Well, that's beautiful. So, so give me some. Does uh, the book go into specific stories, specific tactics? What's the what's the mission of the the book? 
Yeah, it's it's really to actually um, create a list of ways for companies to identify what are you looking for in a second in command? How do you find them? Once you know what you're looking for, where do you find them? Right. When you find them, how do you recruit them? And then once you're recruiting them, how do you interview them? And when you're interviewing a bunch of them, how do you select them? Wow. And then once you've picked your one, how do you build the strong relationship with them, right? Kind of like a marriage, right? If I'm a guy thinking about getting married, what am I looking for in a spouse? Where do, where do those kind of women hang out? Oh, okay, I got a bunch of them. How do I find the right one? I find the right one. How do I get her to like me? How do I, how do I, how do I get to know her enough and date her enough and live with her long enough to know I want to marry her, right? It's the same thing, but in a business world. So, so this is written then for um, the the executives for for businesses for those looking to get and hire the right COO. Yeah, it's mostly written for the entrepreneur or the CEO and learning how to hire the right COO. Right. But the book is written for if you're an executive and you want to move into the COO role, this is how you're going to find the right company as well. You can read it from both sets of a lens. So it's a guidebook primarily for entrepreneurs to to Correct. identify the the best fit, the best COO, where to find them, how to integrate them, et cetera. Exactly. And there's not a lot out there in the marketplace about this content at all. Most business books are written for entrepreneurs, teaching them how to be better entrepreneurs. This is teaching them how to bring in the right second in command. And, and the COO Alliance has a number of members and you have annual or quarterly events. Is that correct? Yeah, we've got, we've got members right now from 17 countries. We've got about 175 members globally currently. We'll probably double that this year. Um, we have a monthly three hour event online via zoom. And then we do two in-person events a year, one in Scottsdale, Arizona, and one in Boston at MIT. And we have COOs from around the world or North, mostly North America come to the in-person ones. Um, and then they also have a closed private Slack group where they share information and resources with each other, you know, day to day in between meetings as well. That's beautiful. I mean, what a great resource, right? It's scaling. You know, what I what I realized was there were so many groups for entrepreneurs. Right. There was, you know, YPO and EO and Vistage and Genius Network and all these amazing communities for entrepreneurs. And then there were networks for, you know, accountants and lawyers. And, you know, every every kind of group had a group, but there was no real groups for these COOs. So we created the the COO Alliance for them. In an entrepreneur, <laughs> in an entrepreneurial fashion. You got it. That's beautiful. Well, what else uh, do you want to tell us about the book? And I know you have a uh, online course or two that that we should probably get into. But but any parting thoughts relative to the book? C C E O Whisperer. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I guess the core the core thing about the book, if you're an executive and you read it, you'll understand the mindset that organizations are going to use to attract the right people. And it's really how do you fit the right organization, right? Because so many people accept a job, but they don't understand the entire DNA of the organization they're joining, the leadership team they're going to be working with, the the core values of the organization, the behavioral traits. And when you get it right, work is not work at all. It just becomes easy. So there's a lot in there for, for the average team as well. Uh, the course, as you mentioned, is called Invest in Your Leaders. You go to investinyourleaders.com. And years ago, I identified about 12 core 
leadership skills that any business person, any executive, anyone working in a company needs to be good at to rise up in their career. So it's things like situational leadership, coaching, delegation, time management, project management, running effective meetings, doing job interviews, managing conflict, um, classroom teaching. It's 12 core skills that if you're really good as an executive, you're going to excel in your role. And I just decided to kind of codify it and give these systems to people to help them scale. So it's me teaching the, the content over video. Uh, there's written information that you can read. There's pre and post tests for each module. And it's a completely self-guided course. I've got one company that has 32 of their managers going through it right now. Wow. They and have lifetime access. Just to you, said, you said it's investinyourleaders or leadership.com? No, investinyourleaders. Investinyourleaders.com. Well, and, and mm-hmm. so, so many of those, and it makes sense because really that's what leadership is, uh, are, are soft skills. So correct. I'm, I'm curious how, and you don't necessarily have to answer this, but how, how do they practice or, uh, refine these skills? Because it's one thing so to, those, it's yeah. one thing to watch a lesson. My, how, how do they apply practice and refine? I think at a fault, I don't know how to teach people without giving them a system. Great. Because I've always built franchise organizations that I'm constantly teaching and saying, here's how you do it. Right, right. And I give these systems that we can then replicate over 350 franchises. So each of the 12 modules, there's a simple to execute system. Like as an example, conflict management, yep. I talk about it, I teach it, but then I give you a model to practice. It's a step-by-step on how to practice it. You could almost create a certification model for each of these skills to practice it and use it inside of your organization. We also give out a certification at the end of the course. We give out a LinkedIn certification badge so that anyone going through the course has an Invest in Your Leader certification as well. That's really cool. Yeah, guilty as charged because I can't, I mean, I don't write a book without an application section. I don't, I there's actually a literal app. It's a habit tracker that came out 10 years ago with the book. So I, and that's why I asked because, you know, it's one thing to teach a lesson. It's another to implement it and refine the skills. Um, well, one, one of the modules that I talk about is teaching adults. And so I give an entire model on how to actually teach adults in the business world. So I talk about the pretest and setting the gap. <laughs> how to teach adults? And, yeah, because like, Adults, adults have a learning cycle through abstract conceptualization, active experimentation, concrete experience, and reflective observation. And then you also need the content to be delivered using video, using auditory, and using kinesthetic hands-on learning. So all of my content is even delivered following an abstract, like a, a learning model that adults will learn better from. An example will be, no matter how smart you are as an entrepreneur, unless you're ready to learn the content, you won't learn. That you just be like, yeah, 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 I don't, I don't need to know this. I don't need to know. Right? You cover your ears. You don't need to know. So what I do with every module is I give you a pretest, and no matter how smart you are, you will fail the test. You're going to go through it and you're like, shit, I don't know this, which opens us up to let, let me try to learn this. And then there's the videos of me of me going through it in a fairly consolidated way. The whole twelve modules is only four and a half hours of content, so I've done it in a way that it's it's bite sized. It makes sense. And then there's a written component that you can read through it all to then understand it. So you've got the visual, you've got the auditory, and then you can actually go through the practicing. And I talk about how to practice it in your in your day-to-day, and then you can kind of deal with the concrete experience. 
I also suggest that people go back and go through each module three months later and a year later, because after they've been practicing it, after they've been trying it, they go back and they watch it like, oh shit, that's what that meant. Because I've, I now kind of learned through that cycle, right? The abstract conceptualization, active experimentation, concrete experience and reflective observation. Interesting model. I'm going to have most, to most, most business people. Like I asked someone the other day, have you ever been trained in doing job interviews? He goes, no, but I've done a hundred. Right. I said, great. So you've done a hundred shitty job interviews. And he went, oh shit, you're right. Like he's like, I have no idea if I'm doing it right. Right. So when, when we're, if we really want our companies to scale, we can either be like the fly trying to get out the window and we're going to keep working hard. Right. Right. And they all end up dead on the windowsill or you can find the shortcuts and, and you just find the better way. You know, somebody I trained in all of these 12 systems 30 years ago was Kimball Musk. Elon's brother was trained by me on all 12 of the modules that I put into this course. Uh, Kimball what, worked, what's Kimball his first, worked for me. And, what, what's his first name? Kimball. Kimball. Kimball, Kimball and Elon, I was a reference for them in January of 1995 for their first round of funding for Elon's first company called Zip2. They had one employee. And I had to do a reference for them to explain college pro painters and what Kimball Musk had done. <laughs> his cousin, Peter Reeve, also worked for me in 1993. Peter went on with his brother to build Solar City. Incredible. And uh, where's Kimball now? It works. Kimball runs Kimble? a restaurant group out of Boulder, Colorado called the Kitchen Cafe. He's also doing some vertical farming. And then I don't know if you've seen the business with the drones, like the thousands of drones in the sky doing the, the like, um, moving art he's got a drone business that does freaking crazy shit it's wow it's like it sounds like, like a hobby it sounds like a hobby not a business but uh it sounds incredible. oh no this this is this is replacing like the fireworks in dubai are being replaced oh, by drone wow. shows like they're multi-million dollar drone shows incredible um well i think we've covered so much i love <laughs> I, <laughs> we have and i love the uh the course component, I, I think that's incredible. As we wrap this up, Cameron, is there, um, obviously, we're going to go to where they can find you and that sort of thing. Before I go there, I kind of want to touch on, is is there a pressing either problem that you've recently solved that's kind of on top of your mind that you'd like to share or a technology or an app other than chat GPT. <laughs> I next month I have our speaker for the CEO Alliance is an expert on AI and he's showing us eight different technology tools. Chat GPT is blowing my mind. You can oh. take a 10 page legal agreement, I, copy and paste it. And it gives you it as like the shit that it's doing is mind blowing. I you know uh, the, the big lesson. I, the big thing that's really top of mind right now is none of this matters. <laughs> None, None of, of what we talked about. No, that's right. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, we're all going to die. Like, like damn. So come on. What, come what, on what, now. What, that's just a story. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like everything is what a really matters. Story. Is yes. what really matters is our friendships and our families and our relationship with ourselves and just enjoying the journey because we, we're all just walking each other home. I think we can build all these things, but have a good, good time along the way. Well, I love the message. I think that's a great way to to wrap this up. Yeah, this is at the end of the proverbial day. Uh, I I was on a podcast just like last week, and the guy's like, I I have the smallest audience. 
why are you doing this? And I said, I was taken back by the question. I didn't know he had a small audience. And I, I said, because it was the same reason I wrote the the habit factor. It's like, if it helps one person, just one person, it's worthwhile. And I think that underscores your message here. Uh, and it's why you take the time here to to share and write books. Um, I've never heard it put that way, but I love it. We're, we're all walking home together. And, and home is is six feet under <laughs> so yeah so you enjoy, like you I, I love the i love your laughter and your laughter just shows that you're enjoying the journey like none of us are taking ourselves too seriously uh yeah you gotta i think laughter is i'm trying to there i just heard it a little bit ago it's escaping me but but there's a lot of um science behind the the medicinal aspect of laughter so oh i'm um, sure yeah just the just the health so all right so where can people learn more find more about you obviously we'll link to the book cam uh i thank you for for spending the time here and sharing your journey and and i love the lesson at the end so so you get the final word where can people find you well, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely take a look at all six of my books are available on Amazon, Audible. <laughs> That's right. Buy them all. Right. And then, uh, and then I'll take a look at the Invest in Your Leaders. Investinyourleaders.com is really huge for everybody. And and isn't there a CameronHerald.com too? Yeah, the Cameron Herald, CameronHerald.com website and the COO Alliance website. Yeah, I figured well. that all kind of leads yeah. somewhere. Well, Cam, it's uh, been an honor, a privilege, a pleasure. It's been entertaining and educational. You're a two-time guest on H2G. Thank you very much. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to kill the recording. I think if I can find it. There we go. Say goodbye. 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 All right, my friends, that is going to do it for this episode. If you are new here... There's only two two things you should consider doing. One, go to thehabitfactor.com forward slash templates. Get your free template that will walk you through the PAR method. You are not a rodent. You are not a rat. Why do I say that? Because the habit loop, the famed habit loop, was devised by studying rodents. You're a human. You have choice. You have intention. You have reflection. PAR as a methodology for habit cultivation is a process that leverages your human capacities. So go to thehabitfactor.com forward slash templates and you get a free template or just go to the iOS or Google Play Store and you can download the free Habit Factor app. The other thing that is worth doing in my humble opinion, is subscribing. Subscribe, you get each episode downloaded automatically. That will save you time. It will <laughs> it will save me time. We'll be on the same page, my friend. So that's it. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for subscribing and make sure you begin tracking. See ya.